And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything else she had, all she had to live with, live on. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for allowing us to come and worship you. We even think of the high price you paid for our easy and free access to you, O Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ. We think of the words of our Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man comes to the Father except through me. So we come through Jesus Christ, through your provision. Lord, we're so thankful for the forgiveness of sins, the, the washing Reclaim the promise. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, washes away all of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. So we come confessing our sin, but being forgiven, we come with confidence before your holy throne, and we, we say, blessed be your name, and may your kingdom come here and be built here for your glory. Thank you, Lord, oh Lord, for this little text we have to look at. Thank you for giving us this story. And oh Lord, please, in your grace, would you split open our hearts to help us to hear what you're saying to each of us today. Would you, would you be so kind as to make us extremely uncomfortable with this text? to hear this message, O oh Lord, we pray, and change us this day. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, and he will guide us into all truth, and he will convict us, uh, and we look forward to that. Lord, help us to grow. Your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus, amen. So yeah, this is a fantastic story. It, in the old English, it was called the, the with the widow's might. In the King James version, the, the coins she gave were called mites, little little tiny copper coins. Amazing, they were. Her whole gift was one sixty fourth of a day's wage, of a denarius. One sixty fourth. So, you know, if you get paid. Well, you know, maybe in America you get paid 150 to 300 dollars a day, or something like that. 100 dollars a day. You're talking about five bucks or something like that that she gave. Just almost nothing uh, in our society. You can get one, you know, one meal out of it, and that's probably it. Imagine compare that to housing ex expenses. You know, uh, compare it to. It, owning a car, paying the insurance, filling up a gas tank. You know, nothing. This is, this is dust. You call it budget dust. One 
64th of a day's wage. Uh, it's such an awesome story, isn't it? Uh, I, 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 again, let's just reorient ourselves. We're in what we call Holy Week. Jesus has come into his city on the triumphal entry riding a borrowed donkey, which he miraculously acquired. This donkey had never been ridden before. It was a, it was a, you know, a baby donkey. Uh, I don't know how old a donkey needs to be to ride on it. Actually, I was talking to Paul, who uh, was our reader today. He used to, he used to have some donkeys. And they're, they're not quite cooperative, as you said. <laughs> you know, the old metaphor is you got you to convince them with a two-by-four. Um, and, and here is an unbroken donkey. No one had ever ridden on this donkey before. But the Lord of the universe has need of that donkey. Awesome. And sometimes I feel like that donkey, by the way. <laughs> An unbroken ass. <laughs> that, that, oh Lord, you know, may I be submitted to your leadership in my life and may I carry you. Wouldn't that be awesome to carry Jesus to where he's needed? Uh, and so we're in Holy Week. Triumphal entry has occurred. He's cleansed the temple for the second time. Uh, he did it like two and a half years ago. And he did it again. It's cluttered up. People are crazy doing business there. And, and then he's been, the, the authorities, the Jewish authorities, have been trying to catch him, try to trick him on language, try to get him. Try, they're going to get this uneducated, non-seminary graduate. They're going to get him on his Bible interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> He's the living word. <laughs> you, you, you don't get him on Bible interpretation, but they try. <laughs> they try. And he keeps, uh, you know, winning the victory, ringing them up, hanging them on meat hooks, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Uh, and, and, and they finally give up. It's a glorious thing when they finally give up. Actually, one of their number uh, comes in sort of, uh, he's softened up a lot. You know, one of the, I, I should know this reference, but believe me, it's there, and I could look it up, but we don't have time. But in, in the book of Acts, somewhere in the first part of it, uh, it says many priests, many of the Jewish priests came to Jesus you know, a- after the resurrection. After, so, so some of these guys will come to faith. Uh, Paul's an example. He was a Pharisee, and he, he, he hated Jesus, and he was going on a, a hate, hatred for Jesus. And, and uh, so the verse 28 and following, you have this one guy who's softened up quite a bit. And it, it sort of ends the whole thing uh, of this discussion. Look, look what he says. This is verse 34. I'm, I'm, we're actually going to look at this uh, again in a moment. But verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, that's this scribe, this Jewish authority, who they were all in the process of, executing Jesus. They were going to kill him in a couple of days, the, the, the group of them. Um, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He finally shut them up by his uh, amazing power 
to answer every objection they could possibly come up with. But you're not far from the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, is where Jesus is and where he rules and reigns. And you and I are called to be in his kingdom. And the first song we sang was saying, Lord, make your kingdom, build your kingdom here. We said that was a prayer song. It was an aggressive prayer. We should pray big things. You know? We should pray, the, Lord, we're, we're the few, but we want to trust you to do mighty work through us. And Lord, let us be the donkey who carries you, submitted to you as King of kings and Lord of lords. So th- that's where we are. And, and, and in the, in, uh, Jesus knows exactly where this week ends. We're, you know, Tuesday or something like that of this week, Tuesday, Wednesday. And on Friday, he's going to be crucified. And, and instead of, again, he knows this absolutely. He ordained it before he created the world. Yeah, the time and date and exactly. There's no, there's no contingency. There's no like, well, maybe they'll crucify me. You know, that might just happen. God doesn't live in contingency. He's, he is the Lord of all time and space. Um, and, and as a human being, he knows this. And, and yet he's, he's, he's lounging about in, in the temple. It's like, get out of there. That's a scary place. It's a dangerous place. Go hide in your room. Get a novel and read it or something. But no, none of that for Jesus. He's out there turning the other cheek, as he would have taught us earlier on, right? So he sits out, it says, opposite the treasury, and watch the people putting money into the offering box. They didn't take the offering. They had a box out in the lobby. Some churches do that. It's not a bad idea at all. Um, And he's sitting out there watching people give money. And he says, many, it says, many rich people put in large sums. It was pretty exciting. As the the pastor, the leader, you're thinking, yes, oh, that's wonderful. You know, dig deep and give more. And then this other lady comes in and, you know, puts in, uh, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny, the text says. As I said, it's just very little amount. And, and she goes on her way. It's kind of cool to think about it because she never knew uh, on earth, as far as we can tell, that Jesus used her as an illustration. She had no idea. She was the the faithful one who was the unnoticed one. But the all-seeing eye of God sees what's going on. And Jesus sees that what uh, what she has done. And so he calls the disciples to him and he says to them, truly, again, this is... uh, Jesus type of language, it's a little bit awkward because it's not actually normal language. It's something, in John's gospel, he records that Jesus often said it, truly, truly, right? Uh, I was raised with the King James. I kind of like it, you know? And remember, it was verily, verily. has a ring to it. Sounds like something Shakespeare would put on the stage. 
Verily, verily. What, and what the, you all know this, and I'm sorry for all the review, but it's, it's actually a Hebrew import word. It's the word amen. So he says, amen, I say to you, which is, before I even tell you this, I want you to know that this is absolutely true. This, you know, amen means may it be. You know, when, when we hear somebody pray and we say, Amen, Lord, we're saying, Yes, may it be. And, and Jesus is saying, this, is, this will be, this is it, this is true. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. More. She's done something more significant by human terms. She's done next to nothing. You know, the temple costs an awful lot to operate. And really, through this offering uh, and all the income that comes, there's a whole priestly class of people who are supported by this. And she's given, you know, they, they can't even buy one meal with what she's given. It's, it's nothing. Humanly speaking, it's totally insignificant. The gift she gave... She didn't have to give that at all, by humanly speaking. But she gives it to God, and Jesus says, it is more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. There's beautiful application there, right? Just from the get-go here of this text, feel it. It's so awesome, because you and I often are in some little corner where no one sees us, and if we're serving God faithfully, we're slipping in two little copper coins, <coughs> which seems insignificant. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, stay home. Buy yourself a, a last few grains of rice, woman. You know, you keep your gift. It won't help. But she has, she's giving it all to God. And notice also, right, how many coins? Would it have been easy for her to keep one? She didn't have to give two. <laughs> she gave two. One, two. After that, I have nothing left. Why is this? Because she's illustrating the proper response to God. Who is God? <laughs> what should we give him? We give him all. We give him all we have. And, and, and so uh, he, Jesus says, she gave more. Verse 44, why? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave everything to God, completely acknowledging her total dependence upon God. God is worthy of her trust. Uh, and, and, and she acknowledged, I completely depend on you, God, for my very breath. And somehow, some reason, we don't know why, the Spirit moved her, moved in her heart to, to give those last two coins. She could have given 50%, and that's a pretty good percentage. Let's have a 50% offering next week. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good percentage. Um, but she gave 100% to illustrate 
for us, for all time, what God truly deserves. Excuse me, I'm going to get my remote control and my water. So let's look then. I want to. I want to ask the question. You know, why is this appropriate? Doesn't it seem a little uh, over the top, and like unnecessary, and like too much? Don't 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 give that much. Don't be that involved. Don't be that obsessed with God that you actually believe He's going to take care of you. Wait a minute, you know, God, God, God's not going to take care of you. Don't trust him. You've got to trust yourself, girl. You've got to think of yourself. Uh, no one else is going to think of you. So why is this uh, appropriate? So let us look at the context. Uh, I want to just actually just back up a little ways and, and look at chapter 12 again. Uh, in this whole ro- rolling conversation that God, Jesus is having with his enemies uh, on the eve of their crucifying him. And I'm just sort of cherry-picking here. Let's go up to the very beginning. This is a story of the, the tenants and the farm. And uh, you know, we're not going to work through that. I just want to look at the scripture that Jesus uh, drives home. Uh, at the end here. Uh, it's really, really cool. He's speaking to, again, the Bible teachers, the senior pastors, uh, some of the seminary professors. Verse 10, he says, Have you not read the Scripture? <laughs> I mean, that's inherently insulting. What do you... I breathe the Scripture, Jesus. You know, have you not read? And what he's asking us... Have, have you really trusted? Have you really opened your heart and mind to the Word of God? Have you not read the Scripture? And, l- and look what the Scripture is. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. This is the direct work of God. Yahweh has worked, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Of course, uh, that is a quote, and it's from Psalm 118. Jesus is saying this. What is he saying? He's saying that you guys are rejecting me. You've been rejecting me for two and a half, three years now. They, they early on said, hey, we're going to kill this guy. Let's figure out how we're going to do this. This is not a quick plan. This is a old plan for them. They are the builders of of Israel. They're the ones that are called by God to build his kingdom. That's why it says the stone that the builders rejected. And Jesus comes along and they reject him. He's rejected by men. This is a part of the process, of course, of redemption. He has to be rejected. And in God's sovereignty, this rejection becomes our redemption, right? If Honestly, he had to be crucified. Jesus says it is necessary. Uh, in the process of God's plan to save us, for these men to reject Jesus. But, so this stone that comes along 
who is rejected, he is the cornerstone. Jesus is the absolute essential to God's building. All of God's building is centered on who Jesus is. And as I pointed out before, I just, you know, God loves irony. It's just ironic. It's so, you know, you don't want to say funny, but it's like deeply ironic that they reject him and he is the one. You know, he's the one. He's accepted completely by God. He's worthy of our worship. He was rejected by men, but he is the key to all history and all reality. He's the creator of heaven and earth. The Bible says all that is, is maintained by him. It, it's, it's dependent upon him. All of reality doesn't even exist outside of him. And they reject him. He, he is the whole building block of time and space. The building block of our salvation. You cannot say too many big things about who Jesus is. You can't. Why? He's God. <laughs> and the Bible says he's the creator of everything. Everything is derived from him and dependent upon him. By him all things consist. This is Jesus. And he is and, and, and it says this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. So this lady, this widow kind of shows us the proper response to who Jesus is. If that's who he is, then how much does he deserve? How much of our lives should we give him? The top half of Romans? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just like to tweak. It's a little funny little thing. Yeah, just a little. You guys are you're laughing up a storm. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> that's all that deserves. <laughs> um, no, he deserves it all. All, both pennies. You, you and I, we, we, we can barely scrape together. You know, I don't have two nickels to rub together, right? I'm so poor I can't even pay attention, right? Uh, but we bring whatever we have and lay it at his feet. I'm here for you. You are the cornerstone of all life and all reality. I worship you. We don't worship anything else. We bring this glorious message to, to dear people all around us who don't know Jesus. You know, you're living and breathing in Him. We live and move and have our being. You, you exist in Him and you're rejecting Him. And come to Him and give Him everything you are and have. Okay? We're just looking at a little of the context. Let's look down now at verse 17. This is the one about, should we pay taxes? And Jesus says, yes. Um, and he says in verse 17, Jesus said to them, render. Remember, he's using an intensified word there for to give. It means to give out of a sense of obligation. Not, not just I'm not just giving out of my free will here. I owe Caesar my taxes. I owe the IRS my taxes. Look at the way Jesus puts it. 
Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He's saying, you've got to look at a part of your salary as that actually belongs to the IRS. So I'm just giving to them what belongs to them. Uh, There's a lot of uh, political rhetoric, you know, like the bumper sticker. I used it in a sermon on this, right? Don't steal. The IRS doesn't like competition. (laughs) Or... You know, Uncle Sam's always got his hand in my pocket, pulling out receipts. Uh, that's Jesus said, I'm sorry, do not look at it that way. You render. In other words, this is Caesar's. I've got to give it to Caesar. Excuse me, I don't really like Caesar. Well, you're right. He's a bad guy. Uh, when this was actually written, it was Caesar Nero, well known to be the worst tweeter in history. <laughs> I mean, really, he was a wacko, a really horrible guy. And if, you know, political advice is don't give him even two cents. But that's not what Jesus says. Because God has put Nero in charge. Whew. Wow. God's sovereign. He even controls when the babies cry. <laughs> and that's good. Um, so, what he says here, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So this is the question. Give to God what is God's. What is God's? The Bible says, I am God's. In fact, it says, I, I don't even belong to myself. You are not yours. You are bought with a price. If you're a believer, you're owned wholly by the holy God. And so give to God what is God's. Okay, I'm yours. And and, and by the way, by the way, right? Let's just acknowledge this. This is a goal. We're always pushing toward this and we'll, we'll, we'll never reach this goal completely. And we'll have to recommit ourselves to this goal all the time by confession, by repentance, and, and, uh, Recommitment, uh, giving myself. We, you know, when I was a kid, you'd have an invitation after every sermon. It was get saved and recommit your life to Christ. You know, and that was not a bad idea. Uh, except that I got saved a whole bunch of times. You know, <laughs> kids say, "Oh no, I don't know if I'm actually saved. I got to get saved again." Um, but that idea of recommit your life to Christ—it it is something we constantly have to do. I recommit to you, but. We give to God what is God's. We are the image of God. Whose image is on the coin? Well, that's Caesar's image. We are the image of God. If you hold me up, you're going to say, God is bald? No, <laughs> uh, no it's not about what I look like. It's, it's what makes me a human being, what makes me think, what makes me creative, what makes me have the ability to love and care and respond spiritually. That's the image of God. And the list goes on. To how, how come I can be artistic? How can I be thoughtful? How can I be uh, compassionate? The image of God. We bear the image of God. We're made in the likeness and image of God. Whose image is this? It is God's. Well, give to God what is God's. And we, are, we have the inscription of God. He's written data all over us. Uh, that is 
illustrating his creative powers. That's verse 17. Let's work down to verse 26 through 27 in in our text. Uh, this, This is really interesting. It's the discussion about the resurrection. They thought they got him with this ludicrous story, very sad story about a wife who marries a man and six of his brothers as they all die in succession. And after she died, the whole community sighed relief. You know, no more guys have to marry that girl because, whew, you marry her, you're going to die. Um, actually, that's not a part of the story. But, uh, <laughs> it's a ludicrous story. And they, they're trying to catch Jesus. And what about the resurrection? And, and there's a lot of teaching in here. But where he gets down to it is in verse 26 and 27. Let me read it. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? There's once again. You guys have to go back and study your Bible. You think you know it? You don't. Read it. Read it again. Be careful. Watch the verb tenses. Uh, Get enough information that you know how to interpret the Bible. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Again, I like to point out that Jesus apparently thought Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And I'll side with Jesus. Uh, how about you? <laughs> uh, yes, in the passage about the bush, the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, quote, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living you are quite wrong. Now, what's the principle here? I have this cat. Consciousness, that annoying time between naps. You guys are terrible. You're treating me horribly today. That's slightly humorous. It's at least slight. Yeah, it's too hot to laugh, huh? Too hot to laugh. What's my point here? He's not the God of the dead. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Beautifully, this is an argument based on the actual verb tense that Moses wrote that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this this is why we study the Bible carefully and notice what the language, the verbs actually say. And what is he saying? Moses is saying that Abraham still is. Abraham didn't stop existing. Abraham's not resting in peace. R.I.P. Waiting for the resurrection. No, he is alive now. He's with God now. And God is his God now. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, not to explain all of the implications, but this is, this is an amazing implication. That you know what? You think that when you die, that's it. You, you get buried and it's all over. That is not true. We continue to exist in consciousness. And you, you, you are always there. And the Bible actually teaches you will either be conscious in hell or in heaven based on whether or not you have faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior. A big reality, but so important to know. So, you see... That's how it makes sense to give everything to God. You come and lay it all before him. I am yours. Use me. I am yours. Save me. 
I, I am yours. I depend on you completely. We never lose consciousness. We never stop existing. And we deal with God. That's the third context. Let's look at the fourth one. Verses 29 through 31. This is, this is like the, the ultimate expression of it. Uh, here is Jesus responding to the question in verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard him disputing um, and heard them disputing with one another, saying that he answered them well, seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is. Hear, O Israel. This is the famous Shema in the Hebrew because it's Shema, O Israel. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, just summing this up, there's one God, and therefore we should love him. We should be 100% committed to him. The, the widow with her two little cents illustrates this, you see. Jesus said, there it is. That's just what I've been teaching. That's the only thing that makes sense. Jesus is the cornerstone we give to God what is God's. And we better do it because we never lose consciousness. You will deal with God one way or the other. So deal with it now. Deal with him now and love him. Live for him and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about the heart. And then finally, the last bit of context I want to point out is 35 through 37. This is what we looked at last week. It says, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now, there's a lot going on here, but there's some uh, very significant foundational truths being taught here. First of all, Jesus is not denying that he's the son of David. This is a, a psalm, we call it a messianic psalm. David wrote it, notice, by the Holy Spirit, and it's about the Messiah. Uh, other, another word for that is the Christ. And the Christ is a human being. Genetically, he's connected to David. If you dug up David and found his femur, took his DNA out, it would be matched to Jesus' DNA. They're actually related. So in the Hebrew way of thinking of it, he's David's son. He's one of the offspring of David. He's human, fully human. But Jesus is pointing out... <laughs> that there's something else about Jesus. He actually, first of all, exists a thousand years before he's born. And also, he's called the Lord, and he's the Lord of David, so, which actually ultimately makes him God himself, makes him divine. So here it is. Jesus Christ is divine and human. He's unique. 
He's the God-man, truly God, truly man. And, and so therefore, he's worthy of worship. No human being is worthy of worship. But Jesus is worthy of worship as a human being because he's God and man at the same time. So I believe that all of these reasons, again, running through them really quick, why should I give myself completely to God? Well, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of all reality. And he's the cornerstone of the church. He's our redeemer. And we should give to God what is God's. You are God's. Give yourself to him. And then we never lose consciousness. You, you still exist. You, you will always exist. So don't make this tragic, worst, cosmic mistake of saying, well, I just don't believe that. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. Uh, it's the worst mistake a human being could ever make. And then this positive statement in the fourth context is, there's one God. Love him. Love him completely. And then Jesus is eternal. He is divine and he is human. So we learn from this insignificant widow who never really knew that we'd be talking about her. Uh, you know, 2,000 years later, that she'd be honored by the church uh, for all of these years, we learn from her to give to God all that we have. So summing it up this way, give to God all that you have. Think of this lady. God always sees what we think is happening in secret, alone, obscure, no one's watching me. You know, lots of people gave lots of money. That was exciting. And then what, what did that old lady do? I, I don't know. There's nothing, you know. No, Jesus saw her, and he saw her heart, and he saw their hearts as well. God does not expect us to give us what we don't have. Uh, you, you can't give more than you have. You know, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm sorry. You know, I, I've never preached to... 300,000 people in time in, in, in uh, Central Park. <laughs> Not yet, you know, could be. But, uh, keep tra- working on that humor, you know, we'll, we'll work a little harder on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not. You know, you, uh, you know, there's a guy named, I think his name is David, but Oppenheimer, like one of the, the best engineers in the in our uh, previous generation. He's the guy who was the mastermind of, of the Manhattan Project. He, he saw and believed that you could actually harness the power of the atom and split it and do something that had never happened before. Yeah, he, I, you know, you might not be Oppenheimer. <laughs> you, I might not be Billy Graham. But God doesn't expect you to be something you're not. Never look at it and say, well, I'm nothing. No, you give what you have. And by the way, a lot of people agree, you know, I'm nothing. <laughs> but you give what you have. Uh, too many times you say, well, I, you know, I, I'm not that. But God says, I, I don't expect you to give what you do not have. 2 Corinthians 8.12 is a verse for that. And then finally, we are in the best position when we realize our total dependence upon God. That's what this lady's doing. I'm totally dependent on God. You know, if, even if I keep half of this, I scarcely can buy half a meal. 
so I'm totally dependent on God. And that's where we should be. It is not the quantity of the gift, but the quality of the heart that counts. Love. What is love? Love is unreserved. Love is, I love you to the moon and back. It's big, it's wild, it's huge. Uh, It calls for sacrifice. It calls for giving all we have. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing story. We kind of want to meet this lady one day and uh, shake her hand. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this example, and may we understand what you're saying. We feel challenged by this because we, we frankly aren't giving enough, and it's really hard to think of giving all to you. But help us to start by just giving all of ourselves to you today. Forgive us for not doing it even up to this point today. But today, right now, we do want to recommit ourselves to you. And if you're listening, our eyes are closed. It's only God, the all-seeing eye, sees you where you are right now. Okay? I don't want to know. I don't care. Well, I do care, but I don't want to know. Would you, would you pray in your heart and mind right now with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to give myself completely to you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Help me to give my two cents into your mighty hand. Oh, Lord, and use it for your glory. And I, I acknowledge I'm 100, 100% dependent on you for my next breath. So I worship you and I love you. All was and only through Jesus. Amen.